begin with a word of prayer before we uh, get started today and thank God for this wonderful, wonderful day that he's given us. Bow with me and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, this glorious and wonderful day that we celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus. God, he died on that cross. He gave up his spirit. He was placed in that grave where his body was lifeless and dead. But on the third day, he rose again. And Lord, that makes all the difference in the world. So I pray, Lord, today as we study your scripture, as we look into the word that you have given to us, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to reveal yourself to us. Teach us things we've never seen before and let us truly understand the life and the gift that we have received in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, for all of our guests, uh, so glad to see you again. Goodness, goodness. Y'all should just come every week. This would be fantastic. No, I, I, I'm kidding. We'd love to have you, though. Uh, well, last week, you know, today's Easter Sunday, and last week, whenever churches gathered, we remembered something called Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the the day whenever Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, if you remember, and he was welcomed into town with all these people. They had all the palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They were quoting some Old Testament Psalms as Jesus came into town. They didn't know exactly what Jesus was going to do. The Messiah had come. If this was actually him, they were getting ready to overthrow Rome and overthrow everybody. Jesus was going to take over and flip everything upside down, right? But things didn't happen that way. You can imagine throughout the week how people began to get confused. What was going on? If, if Jesus is the Messiah, why, why hasn't he taken over and ruled and conquered and raised up an army? that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went into the temple and began to teach. And then he gathered with his followers for that Passover meal, the Passover cedar, just like the Jews normally did. In fact, that's why everyone had come to town was for the Passover. Jesus and his disciples, he told them, I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you. And they went through the Passover meal, just like all of their customs as they were supposed to do, as they were instructed by Moses in the Old Testament. But then at the end of the dinner, Jesus did something different. Because the disciples didn't know, they didn't understand. Jesus had been telling them all along that he must go and die for them. He's told them over and over and over again, but it never seemed to sink in with them. They did not understand that the night they had that Passover with Jesus, the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper, that was the last Passover that would ever need to take place. When Jesus told them, he took the bread and said, this is my body given for you, they didn't understand that the man they sat with at that table soon was going to be hanging from a cross. And when Jesus took the, the wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, they didn't understand that in a few hours he would bleed and die for them. They didn't understand that when Christ talked about the Passover and how he longed to eat this meal with them, that finally the true Passover lamb that the Old Testament had looked forward to had come and his name 
was Jesus. Just as John the Baptist proclaimed early on in Jesus' ministry, he said, look, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, look, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That is why whenever Jesus inaugurated the new covenant in his blood, he was telling his disciples, everything we've been doing up to now has been leading us to this moment. But everything's about to change. Everything's about to be different because of what I am about to do. I'm about to fulfill everything that the law and the prophets have testified to. They didn't understand that. But Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him in a few hours. And so after the Lord's Supper, we know they sang a hymn and they went across the Kidron Valley to a garden called Gethsemane where they prayed and then after a couple of hours, Jesus is betrayed by one of his former followers. You remember Judas came in the middle of the night with a detachment of Roman troops and guards from the temple. Could have been up to 600 men to arrest that one man, Jesus Christ, in the garden. And did Jesus fight back? Did he call down a host of the angel army or did he obliterate them with a word from his voice? No. Jesus told them to do what they had come to do. And he let himself be bound and led away where he was led to these mockery of trials at the hands of the high priest in the Sanhedrin, led before Annas, the former high priest, and Caiaphas, the current high priest, and they mocked him and despised him. He was spat on, he was punched, he was hated and reviled in these trials that never should have taken place. It was illegal for Jews to hold trials at night. And yet throughout all of this, Jesus made no defense for himself. He didn't speak out against them. He didn't stop them from what they did. He took the abuse. He took the hate. He took the storm. And then he was sent from them when they found out they couldn't get what they wanted from him. They sent him over to the Romans, to Pilate, because they wanted him crucified. They wanted Jesus put to death. And they couldn't do it themselves, so they sent him to Rome. And Pilate... Whenever he received him, couldn't find anything wrong with him, so he sends him to Herod. And there he is mocked more, despised more, and roughed up by Herod's guards and sent back to Pilate. He comes back to Pilate, and what's one of the most staggering things in all the scripture is that Pilate and the Romans actually said, we, we don't find anything wrong with this man. What has he done? But the Jews shouted, crucify him! Pilate tried to exchange and release a criminal. You want Barabbas or do you want this man? And they said, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. So Jesus was led up the hill to Golgotha. He carried his cross to the place where he was hung on that tree. Nailed to that cross after he had been scourged by the Roman guards. Where he was beaten and lashed. hung on that tree for about six hours until finally, finally, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. He breathed his last. He gave up his spirit. 
and he died. And this should be shocking for us because Jesus Christ is no mere man. He is the author of all life, the creator and sustainer of this universe. God become man, and here he was hanging dead on that tree. They took his body down from the tree, and a man by the name of Joseph from Arimathea, he was a secret follower of Jesus. Him and Nicodemus actually came, and they very quickly wrapped the body. They couldn't leave the body hanging during a Sabbath to defile the land. So they quickly wrapped the body, threw it in an empty tomb that belonged to Joseph that hadn't been used yet, and they sealed it. Roman guards were put in front of it. And all that night, Jesus' body lied lifeless in that tomb. And the next morning when they got up, again, the the followers of Jesus, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing what was coming next, they couldn't believe it. The guy who promised that he was the Messiah was laying dead in a tomb. They had seen him die. They saw him get placed in the tomb. And now nothing. All day long. Silence. if God was never going to speak to them again. Then that next day, the women got up. You know, they, they honored the Sabbath. You remember the Jews, they can't do any work on the Sabbath. So during that Sabbath, the women rested. But that next day, they got up early. They had prepared all these spices and ointments, and they were going to go and take care of the body of Jesus because it had gotten taken care of and wrapped up real quickly and just put in the tomb before the Sabbath. And even as they're going, these these women are talking, what are we going to do about that stone? They had seen Jesus get put in the the tomb and it gets sealed. What are we going to do about the stone? I don't know, but we're going. I absolutely love that kind of faith. Those women had no way of rolling back that stone or getting the guards to move for them. They didn't care. They were going to take care of Jesus. But what a surprise and a shock they were in for when they arrived at that tomb. The surprise of a lifetime, of all lifetimes. They showed up and that stone had been rolled away, that tomb completely wide open. And when they went in to see the body of Jesus, that tomb was empty. There was no body lying there, just some cloth. Jesus was not laying in that tomb. And this is what we proclaim today. This is what we remember. This is what we honor on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But you know the best part about Christ's resurrection? It's not just today is Resurrection Day. Every day is resurrection day because Jesus rose on that day and he still rose today and he's rose tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day it's the best part about the resurrection I want us to look in the uh, gospel of Luke beginning in uh, chapter 24 I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 so we can read about this account when these women came and found this empty tomb it says in verse 1 but on the first day of the week At early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they went in it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. (laughs) I can't imagine what those women were thinking, you know, that day when they arrived, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, and some others, they'd come and Again, they didn't know how they were going to get into the tomb. They just knew they wanted to honor the body of Jesus. But when they come, this stone is rolled away. And at first you might be thinking, well, someone broke in and stole the body of Jesus until these two angels appear in dazzling apparel and their proclamation that Jesus Christ was not just gone from that tomb, but he was raised to life. What a shock they were in for. They had never seen anything like this. And so they go back and they tell the men, and we know that uh, John and Peter come running later. And throughout this day, Jesus actually makes several appearances to people uh, on the road to Emmaus. But then what I want us to kind of look at here today is, is when he appears to his disciples. When he comes to them, and you know, as we think about this, Every year we get to the Easter season, you'll hear the proclamation that Jesus is alive. And one of the dangers, one of the thing traps that we can fall into as believers is to hear a message over and over and over again to the point it begins to lose its its impact. You hear something so many times it no longer stirs your heart and your soul. But I want us to think about this. Think about the natural order of the world. I want you to think about a man, an innocent man, who gets wrongly accused. He gets beaten, he is crucified, he's died, and he's buried and put into the ground. Every bit of that makes sense to us. We know that people die, we know that innocent people get accused wrongly, we know that that's what happens, that these things, whenever you are beaten and crucified, you die. All of this makes sense to the natural mind. But how in the world could a man who was dead and lifeless be raised back to life? How can a man who had completely died, not just fainted, not just knocked out, not just pretending, but truly, truly dead, the scripture testifies that Jesus gave up his spirit. How could a man be raised back to life? Only God could raise him back to life. And that's exactly what happened here. So you can imagine the the unbelief of people when they first heard this message. That man, Jesus, you saw him die. We're telling you he's alive and he's risen. Not only that, we saw him. That kind of person, you, you think they were crazy if you heard that message. 
No, 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 I know you saw him die. I know you saw him get put in the grave, but I'm telling you he's alive, and I saw him today. He appeared to me. You guys how, how radical this message is. But this is our hope in everything. And when Jesus comes to his disciples, because a lot of them, again, when Peter and, and John went to the tomb, they didn't find anything. They ran to that tomb to go see, and all they found was some cloth lying in the tomb. They went back home. But look here later that evening in Luke 24. Go on down to verse 44. When Jesus has gathered in with his disciples, they're all together, and he appears to them, and he tells them this. And this is what I want us to focus in on today and, and learn from. Verse 44 says, Then he said to them, Jesus to his disciples and to all those who had gathered, the women with them, says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. One of the most wonderful things that we will ever understand is that everything written in the Old Testament, in the law, in the prophets and the Psalms about Jesus Christ was fully, completely fulfilled in his life and death and resurrection. Jesus has fulfilled everything that was spoken of him. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that the repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's three things I want us to catch right here that Jesus discusses. Three things that I want us to see and understand. Number one, Jesus said in verse 46, that the Christ must suffer and die. The Messiah suffered, died, and he rose again just as he said he would. But what does that have to do with us at all? I mean, that was him, right? That was Jesus. Jesus was the one who hung on that cross. Jesus was the one who died. Jesus was the one who was buried. And Jesus was the one who was raised. What does that have to do with me? Everything. Everything. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that death came into the world by one man, Adam. We remember the Garden of Eden. Adam disobeyed God, ate from the tree he shouldn't have eaten. Sin and death came into the world. Death came into the world by one man. But resurrection from the dead came by Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, In Adam all die. Ladies and gentlemen, our natural born state, when we are born into this world, we are under our forefather, Adam, the first man. The first man who represented us all. And when he sinned, he plunged all of us into sin and darkness and death. 
That's why God had to send us a Savior. God had to send us a Messiah so that all of us in the Messiah, in Christ, could be brought back to life. In Adam, all die, but in Christ, all will be made alive. You start off in Adam, but if you believe in Jesus, you come under Jesus' headship, you are in Christ, and every single person in Christ is made alive. You started out in death, darkness, and separation, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of belief in him as your Lord and Savior, you receive his forgiveness and his life. When we believe in Christ Jesus, we become his and we are made alive in him. Because the Messiah suffered, died, and rose again, you are made alive before God forevermore. The second thing I want you to see is that Jesus told them that repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name should be proclaimed to all the nations. What we believe, what we know to be true, what we know from God didn't start here in America. No, it began back in Jerusalem in the Middle East a few thousand years ago. But specifically when it comes to Jesus, that message, the only reason you have even heard the name of Jesus is because he told his followers to take this news from Jerusalem and go out into the world. And over 2,000 years, God has moved in power to take his message across space and time and be brought to you here in America, in Troop, Texas, today. You are a part of something that reaches all the way back to the Son of God himself. And he said the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus be proclaimed. So the other thing I want to tell you that when you believe in Jesus, not only are you made alive, but you are forgiven, just as Jesus proclaimed. You say, how forgiven am I? Like mostly forgiven? No, 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 totally forgiven. You are in Christ 100%, fully, completely, foreverly, eternally. I could make up a bunch of words to try to make this make sense. You are 100% righteous in Christ Jesus. That's how forgiven you are. You will never get more forgiven. You will never get progressively forgiven. Jesus Christ died once for all sins. And when you received his grace and his forgiveness, you got all of it. You live in that. You are forgiven when you believe in Jesus. And thirdly, he told the disciples that you, are, you witness these things and you're going to go spread the gospel. Jesus knew something about those men. He knew they couldn't do it on their own. You know, we like to think of the apostles as being these like super faith guys that are just way above anything any of us normal people could ever be. But let me tell you, they were men and women just like us. Peter was a sinner before he came to know Christ. They messed up. They made mistakes. They were no better, no greater than anyone else. If they were going to carry out Christ's mission, they needed power from on high. They needed the power of God to make this mission a success. 
And that's what Jesus promised to them. On the night of the Last Supper, he told them, he said, I'm going to go to the Father and ask him to send you another helper, a comforter, an advocate to be with you always. He promised to send them the Holy Spirit. When we believe, not only are we made alive, not only are we completely forgiven, but God gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. He places inside us, my spirit I will put inside them, is what he says. You realize that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God. That's who's living in you, and that is who has united you to God, to the Father, to the Son. You are totally and completely united to God in perfect fellowship because of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that happened is that all of your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit won't be united to anything that's foul, dead, and dirty. But it's a good thing every one of our sins was nailed to that cross. And the record of debt that stood against us was nailed to the cross and has been canceled forevermore. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 tells us that. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know what you get in Christ Jesus? You get God's grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His life, His love, His joy. You get everything pertaining to life and godliness given to you freely. You get to walk in that the rest of your life. That's your gift. You'll never lose it. God has sealed you until the day of redemption. Because God knew if you could lose it, if you could mess it up, you would. So he made it a sealed guarantee forever. That's why whenever we look at the cross, we don't look and say, oh God, look what I've done for you. Look what I've done. Look what I no, we say, look what Christ Jesus has done. Look what Christ Jesus has promised. Look what Christ Jesus has fulfilled. Look what Christ Jesus has delivered. That's our assurance. Not our performance. Not not how often we attend church, not how much money we give, not how many good deeds we do, but how good Christ Jesus is forever and ever and ever. You realize the Bible says that he made him to be sin. God made the son to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You want to know what God thinks of you as a believer? He thinks you're the righteousness of God in Christ. The righteousness of God, not because of you, because of his son. Because of Jesus. And how, how long do I get to wear that righteousness and be that righteousness? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever I could keep going. That's your present reality and your forever reality. We look at this whenever we realize because of Christ Jesus, you have been made alive forever. You have been forgiven for everything forever. Jesus Christ will never die another death to sacrifice for sin. One sacrifice for all time. You are completely forgiven. 
you are united to God through his Holy Spirit who lives in you. All of this because of Jesus. All of this because of his perfect life, because of his perfect sacrifice, his death and his resurrection. That is now your inheritance. And that is your life and your future. So let me remind you today as we celebrate this resurrection day. Tomorrow's resurrection day too. Tuesday's resurrection day. Wednesday's resurrection. For the believer, every single day is a resurrection day. Jesus is alive. And you're alive and free in him. With his true eternal life. Freed from sin. You died to sin. You're released from that bondage. You're given his victory. United to him. That's what we mean whenever we say that Jesus paid it all. But the story doesn't end whenever Jesus dies on the cross. We have a tendency to just get to the cross and stop. But we got to remember that right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high, living forevermore to make intercession for every single person who calls on his name. Jesus Christ lives forevermore to intercede for us. What a wonderful Savior he is. Let me remind you and leave you with this, that Christ Jesus is your life. He is your righteousness and he is everything you will ever need. Praise our risen Savior. Let us never forget that. Let us always walk in that truth. That Jesus Christ is alive and because of him, we are alive too. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. Lord, we can't thank you enough for everything that you've done. Lord, look at... We can't understand why you would love us, God. People who who chose to sin and reject you, to sin again and again, and no matter what we did, no matter what we tried, no matter how hard we tried to be good or righteous or holy, we could never live up to your perfect standard. But because of Jesus Christ, he lived up to that perfect standard for us. He became our representative so that he is our righteousness. God, because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of your love, we get to be the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a gift we don't deserve. It's a gift we could never earn. But it's a gift that you have given us freely. God, I pray that every person in here knows that truth in the depths of their soul. And if they don't know that, God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and in their minds. Call them to you. Lord, if they will just believe in you, if they will just turn from their sin and turn to you for salvation, they will receive everything. gift of 
of your forgiveness and of your eternal life. Eternal life that doesn't begin after we die, but here on earth. Anyone who doesn't know you, all they have to do is look to you to call upon your name, believe in you, and you will save them and deliver them. You will cleanse them from all their sins and make them holy and righteous, your adopted child. Lord, this is our hope. And what a firm foundation and secure hope we have because whenever you made that sacrifice, you didn't die and stay in that tomb, but you were raised to life so that we could be raised to life in you. And now we have died to sin with you. We were buried with you. We are raised with you, God. Lead us to walk in that life. Lead us to follow your Holy Spirit. Lead us to follow you by faith, Lord. To put aside our fears and our doubts. Not looking to ourselves, but looking only unto you. God, you are so good to us. You are so wonderful. We praise you for this gift of salvation. And we praise our risen Savior this day. His name is Jesus, and it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.